0: I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 6. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew 6 beginning in verse 1. We'll get there in just a, a moment. It's a disease that nobody wants to get. It doesn't happen overnight, it usually grows slowly. Often we don't even realize that we have it. It's easier to spot in other people than it is in yourself. And it can and does happen to anybody, but it tends to happen more in adults, and it tends to happen to religious people. Those are some of the high-risk categories. And it's pretty difficult to cure, but it's not impossible, and it's really serious. A couple of the symptoms when you have this disease, you have a distorted view of God and of yourself and there's a lot of judgmental and unloving behavior towards other people that comes out of you. The disease that I'm talking about is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now, nobody wants to be a hypocrite. I doubt any of you have ever run into somebody who say, I'm a hypocrite, and I'm proud of it. And yet, there's lots of hypocrites in our world today. It seems like the world is full of hypocrites. And depending on who you ask, the church is full of hypocrites. There was a survey in June of 2018 by Barna that revealed that 85% of millennials view Christians as hypocritical, 85%. In 2021, a different organization, the Legacy Imperative, they did a survey And they were trying to identify the reasons that young people were walking away from the church in droves, because they are. And their research showed that 73% of the people they interviewed, 73% said one of the reasons they were leaving the church was because of hypocrisy and judgmentalism. And those are just two surveys, there's more out there. Now, just because someone believes something does not make it true. Okay, so just because somebody says, oh, the church is full of hypocrites, it doesn't make it true. And hypocrisy is not exclusive to Christians or religion, for that matter, at all. I mean, if if you look at politics, look at entertainment, there are abundant examples of people saying one thing and doing another. But I think that we can all probably agree that It's not a positive thing that Christians tend to be viewed this way. It's not a good thing. And if you're like me, by the way, you you hear those statistics, and you assume that the hypocrites we're talking about are other people. Am I alone in that? I mean, you hear that, and you just assume, well, it's not me. Gosh, those other people, those hypocrites. But food for thought, isn't that what a hypocrite would think? Here's the question I think we all need to wrestle with today, all of us. Regardless of if you have the disease of hypocrisy in you, if it's a little bit, if it's a lot, we all need to wrestle with this. Where does hypocrisy start? If it's an attitude that that grows in our hearts over time, what's the source of it? And maybe more practically, how can we ensure that it doesn't grow inside of us? Well, in this text today that we're looking at, Jesus is going to address that. And not only is Jesus going to help us learn how to avoid hypocrisy, he's going to teach us, he's going to show us what should grow in its place. And in Matthew 6, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at that sermon as a church community over the past couple months, and Jesus, he makes a pivot in chapter six, verse one. I wanna go ahead and jump into the text and then we'll explore it together. Jesus, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, we don't use the word righteousness a whole lot. I always think about the turtle from Finding Nemo who's like, righteous, righteous, that's what I think about. We don't say righteous a whole lot, but, but what this word means in the mind of Jesus when he says this, and this is what it means in the Old Testament. So Jesus, he's lifting this word right out of the Hebrew Scriptures, and what it means is acting rightly in relationship with God and with others. That's what righteousness means. And we use that, you know, we say at times, he did right by him, or she did right by her man. That's what we're talking about. It's acting rightly in Relationship. And Jesus says, be careful not to practice your acting rightly in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, the key to understanding what Jesus is warning against is the phrase to be seen by them. Jesus is not saying, don't ever practice your righteousness in front of people don't do anything good publicly he's not saying that what jesus is confronting is the motive the motive because doing things right in the presence of other people is not in and of itself wrong it's actually good and i believe that for a couple reasons one jesus did jesus fasted and prayed publicly. He likely also gave money financially publicly. We're gonna talk about that today. And also in the chapter before this, chapter five, Jesus, he said to his followers, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So which is it? I mean, make up your mind, Jesus. Is it let your light shine before men or is it, hey, don't do anything pub- publicly I think in both of those texts, what Jesus is addressing is the motive. See, they they don't contradict each other. Chapter 5, Jesus is saying, let people see your righteousness in order that God may be glorified. In chapter 6, he's saying, be careful in your heart that you're not doing your righteousness publicly. Why? To glorify yourself. Don't do that. And if we do, Jesus gives us a warning. He says, if we give from that motive, then we will have no reward. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Jesus, he continues on, and he gives an example of this principle that he's highlighted for us. He says, so when you give to the needy, now, just stop there for a moment. I want you to notice Jesus assumes that we will give to people in need. He doesn't say if you give to the needy, he says when, and and that tells us the importance of this practice that we're looking at today. For Jesus, this was not optional, and he's getting that understanding, that value system right out of the Bible. Deuteronomy 15, God, he says to his people, there will always be poor people in the land, therefore I command you, I don't suggest, I command that you be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites, who are poor and needy in your land. God is clear in the Old Testament, the New Testament is clear that a key distinctive of someone seeking to follow Jesus and honor God is giving financially to people who are in need. Jesus assumes it. And then he shows us two different ways to do it. Now the first way, he says, when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Don't do it that way. Now, this term hypocrites is from the world of Greek drama. In in Jesus' day, there were several theaters. There was one in Jericho, one in Jerusalem, one in Samaria. There's actually a a theater that was... Built in Sephorus, which is a few miles from Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, when Jesus was a boy. In fact, it's possible that, that Jesus went with his father, Joseph, who was a carpenter or a stonemason, and they helped build this theater together. It's possible. Now, that word, hypocrite, referred to somebody who was an actor in Greek theater. They were in a play. They were playing a part. And originally, it was not a negative word. But But Jesus brilliantly... <laughs> he looks at the religious leaders in his day and he says, that's what they're doing. They're acting. That's what they're doing. Now, most of the time, when we hear the word hypocrite, what we think about is somebody saying one thing and doing another. It's the dad who says to his kids, don't eat candy, it's bad for your teeth. In the other room, he's chomping down on licorice and Mike and Ikes, right? So that's what we think about. But this kind of hypocrisy, this strand of the, di- of the disease is different. What Jesus is talking about here is doing something right, but for the wrong reason. This is different. It's not I say one thing, I do another. This is doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason. And this kind of hypocrisy, listen, it is subtle. It often goes undetected. And the example that Jesus is exploring is giving to the needy. So again, giving to the needy is a good thing. No one disputes that. But what is the reason for giving? Well, with this example, he says, they are giving to the needy, they're announcing it with trumpets, they're making this big show of it. Why? To be honored by others. That's the motive. Now, we, we don't know if the trumpet reference here is metaphorical or literal. We actually have evidence that during this time, this historical era, Jewish priests would, from time to time, they would blow trumpets in the temple when they collected an offering. That seems ridiculous to us, doesn't it? We would never do that, would we? The the truth is, we engage in this kind of behavior, it just looks different. I mean, people today will give to a cause but often only if it's made public. Dallas Willard, he points out that that donors much more readily give to new construction, especially if their name can be on the side of a building. Donors are much quicker to give to that than to give to ongoing maintenance of an existing building. You won't find a lot of donors' names on the side of a broom or the side of a mop. Nowadays, you see athletes, buying houses for their parents all the time. They get their first big contract, and they do that, and it's that's awesome. It's awesome. But sometimes I watch those videos, and I wonder, why do these videos always get out? Why is this always public? And the truth is, they get out because somebody wants them out. And this is the reason. It's this. Now, I am not saying that that giving to a cause, to to a new building being built or buying a house for your parents is bad. I'm not saying there can't be love or generosity in those things. There absolutely can. But what's also present in much of our giving is this kind of a heart attitude. It's a deep but powerful desire to be seen and honored by others. And when we give from that place, here's the result. Jesus, he says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, what's the the reward that Jesus is talking about? The reward is they got noticed. In other words, they got what they were aiming at. They got what they wanted. They wanted people to see them, and they have it. And, And Jesus couldn't be more clear. That's all they get. There's no other reward coming their way. Now, he shifts and he gives us a second example. So he's saying, don't do that. Instead, when you give to the needy, my followers, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, what does this phrase mean? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I think it's a mistake to interpret that phrase in a wooden way. Too tightly and too literally i mean your your hands don't have a brain okay and if the point of what jesus is saying is just try really hard to not think about what you're doing well that doesn't work anyway it's like telling somebody don't think about pink elephants and then that's all they're thinking and right now you're probably thinking about pink elephants jesus is using dramatic language to make a point what's the point it's the same point he made in verse one, which is take great care to see that your motive for giving is not to be noticed by anyone other than God. That's what he's saying. He's saying be so committed in your giving, in your generosity. Be so committed to being noticed by God that even you barely notice because you're so oriented to God. Pete Schizero, he, he shared a few years ago about a conversation he had, and it stuck with me. He was talking with somebody who was doing something and receiving a lot of positive feedback and affirmation, and I can't remember what, but this person was hearing, great job, you, you're doing an amazing job. And this person was telling Pete, gosh, you know what, I appreciate the compliments, but really, I just want people to see Jesus. I just want people to look at me and see God And see him for for blessing me with these opportunities and with these gifts. And what Pete said in response was he said, I hear what you're saying and that's great. But what if what people thought and what people said to you just stopped mattering so much altogether? In other words, can you imagine getting to a place in God where it just didn't make that big of a difference? What people thought. And what they said. I think that's what Jesus is trying to cultivate in us as his followers. See, this text is less about make sure that no one ever sees you giving. That if you're at GFC and you're about to put some money in the offering box and somebody sees you, you run. And you get out of there. That's not what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is become the kind of person that is giving from the right place, from the right posture. The Puritans, they had a, a phrase in the 16th century which was living for the audience of one, capital O. That's what this is talking about. Being so single-minded that whether you're in private or in public, you are giving to be noticed and affirmed by God himself and the result when we give that way Jesus he says then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you now what is the reward what do we get when we live out of this kind of a, of a posture well we know that the reward here does not mean material blessings in this present life that if you, if you give God your boat he'll give you a bigger boat Okay, there are all kinds of faithful, generous people in the Bible and today, who never experience material blessing. So that's not what this is talking about. That's bad theology. Now some take the the, the phrase "this reward" they take it to mean your eternal reward. There's a whole theology of rewards in the New Testament that what you're doing, what we're doing now, is noticed by God and will be rewarded into eternity. Others view the reward that Jesus is talking about here as being more connected to the act of giving itself, that the reward is seeing the need met, and it's the deepening that happens in your own soul when you give. It's, It's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, because of this, Now, I think that both can be true. The text doesn't say. But the specific contrast that this text is trying to elevate is between the puny reward of being noticed and honored by people and the incomparable reward of being noticed and honored by God. God. See, we were made to be noticed. The desire to be noticed, to be affirmed, that's not a bad thing. We were made for it in God's image. We're made to hear one day, good and faithful servant. So the the question is not, is it, you know, should I want this, should I not? The, The question is that desire that's in all of us to be noticed, the question is when and how and by whom And what Jesus is saying, again, is that his followers are to be characterized by pursuing the affirmation, the approval of God himself and not other people. And what Jesus is saying by by elevating these two ways, he's saying you can have one or the other, but not both. You can have the the attention and the approval of man or of God. And what determines, according to Jesus, what determines which one you get is your motive when you give. So let me summarize simply what I think this text is saying to us today. First, giving is important, without a doubt. Again, Jesus is going to talk about, in this unit, in the Sermon on the Mount, these 18 verses that we're going to study over the next four weeks, Jesus is gonna talk about three spiritual practices and not only is giving to the needy one of them, it's first. And he, again, he assumes that we will do this, that his followers will seek to be generous and make a regular practice of giving to those in need. So giving is important, but here's the second truth. Why we give is more important. The past few weeks, we've been looking at the image of the iceberg, and when you look at an iceberg, it looks massive, but you're really looking at only 10%. They say, on average, 90% of the iceberg is below the waterline, and similarly, with the human iceberg, when you look at someone, you see 10%, you see their behavior. What you don't see, and what people don't see in our lives, are intentions, desires, feelings, thoughts. This text is telling us, again, that the the behavior of giving to the needy is important. But why is even more important? Here's the behavior. Listen, what's underneath the waterline? This is what matters, according to Jesus. He's saying it matters more than you could ever imagine. Are you and I, are we giving to the needy in order to be esteemed by people? or in order to get a tax write-off, or you can fill in the blank, or are we giving to the needy out of a desire to honor God and out of love for God and for our neighbor who's in need? What's below the waterline? That's what Jesus is going after here. So what do we do with that? You know, how, how do we apply that? I want to borrow an idea from Lloyd Shadrach to help make this really practical for you and I today. And here's what I want to put before you this statement. Start with your motivation, not your obedience. Start with your motivation, not your obedience. Now, I can hear the questions. They're rolling around in your heads and they're rising up. And, you know, some of you are are thinking, Matt, are you saying that I'm supposed to obey only if I feel like it? Matt, isn't obedience about doing the right thing when you don't feel like it? Matt, isn't faith doing what Jesus says to, to do regardless of how you feel? I am not saying that obedience doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that we start with our motivation. Not our obedience. Because here's what this text is saying. And again, I'm just put this simply. This text is saying, when you obey with the wrong motive, it's wrong. You're a hypocrite when you do that. Now, motive, what, what's motivating me, that is different from feeling. There are times where I don't feel like doing the dishes lots of times. But I do them anyway why because my deep desire is to love and serve my family most of the time and so that desire motivates me to do the dishes even when i don't feel like it there are many times where as followers of jesus we do not feel like obeying but we still obey the question is why And when we obey out of a deep desire to honor God and follow Jesus, we're not being a hypocrite, even though we don't feel like it. We are being obedient. But that motive is crucial because Jesus is saying, again, the most righteous people that anybody listening to him when he said this, the most righteous people they knew were the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying they're giving to the needy. They're doing the right thing, but from the wrong place and the wrong. And there's all kinds of things that can motivate us to give. Self-interest, trying to control how other people see us, narcissism, all of that. So again, as followers of Jesus, we start with our motivation, not our obedience. So here's the question I want to put before you today, and this is a penetrating question. What do you want? What do you want? I'm, I'm serious, And here's what's true about our desires. I'm gonna make a a quick point about this. We all have conflicting desires all the time. And none of us, I believe, none of us have completely 100% pure desires and motives. And you're thinking, Matt, that sounds depressing. You know, it's the truth. But when it comes to this area of giving, here's the question What's my deepest desire? And your deepest desire is not always the same as your strongest desire. Let me help that make sense quickly. In the dishes example, my strongest desire at times is to leave the dishes in the sink and to go watch sports. And not even say goodnight to my kids, just to go, and sometimes I do that. But my deepest desire is not that. My deepest desire is to be the kind of husband and dad that loves and serves his family. And so with money, again, just get beneath it, what is your deepest desire? What do you want? Do you want to be esteemed in the eyes of other people or faithfully respond to the needs in front of you to alleviate the brokenness, the hurt, the suffering, the need that you see, and to be faithful to Jesus? What do you want so where's your heart today? And maybe you're saying, I don't know. I don't know where my heart is. Because most of the time, we just encourage people to, okay, what's above the water line? Just give, right? Where's your heart? You know, and some of us, we, we're self-deceived on this. And you don't know you're being deceived. That's the whole point. Because the hypocrites, they would have told you, I bet, if you interviewed them, you said, hey, why do you give to the needy? They would say, to glorify God, of course. And so perhaps what some of us pray today is, God, show me the condition of my heart. Show me my heart. What's below the waterline? And if your heart today in this area is all tied up in wanting the approval of other people, the answer is not to not obey. The, The answer, what Jesus would have you do, is to pray, God, change my heart, and then obey and as you obey, do what Jesus says, which is do it in secret. If you struggle with desiring and, and, and wanting deeply the esteem of other people, then you just faithfully, quietly, you follow Jesus with your giving. That's what he would have us do. And part of, by the way, part of how God wants to change your heart and my heart is through this practice. Sometimes we pray, God, would you make me a more generous person? I know I pray things like that. And God is saying, sure, start by being generous. And if, you culti- if we cultivate this practice, it is going to transform us into the kind of people that Jesus is calling us to be. Now, I want to give us a unique opportunity to practice what Jesus is saying to give to the needy right now. A couple months ago we learned about a ministry called Restore Ukraine and their mission is to meet tangible needs of people in U- Ukraine right now which the needs are overwhelming and what you Restore Ukraine does is they try to provide clothing and other basic necessities that families don't have. Now what makes this organization unique is that the co-founder a, a man named Yaro Natusko he's living in East Tennessee. He's here And he's from Ukraine originally, but he moved here for grad school in 2021. And in response to everything happening back in his home country, he created an organization to help meet needs. And so through our personal correspondence with Yarrow, here's what we've learned. That right now, he is seeking to mobilize resources from East Tennessee to collect winter clothing, shoes, and blankets to ship to the city of Kharkiv. It's it's the second largest city in Ukraine. It's about 25 miles from the Russian border. It's vulnerable to daily shellings. And he is shipping a 40-foot container full of stuff, mostly clothes, over to Ukraine, where the supplies will be distributed through underground metro stations to different shelters and places where people are seeking refuge. And most of these families... From what we know, talking to Yara, most of them are living below ground, often in basements. When they're cold, they don't have access to basic necessities. Now, I'm letting you know all this for a very specific reason. Because all through the Sermon on the Mount, we have been emphasizing the intensity, the urgency of what Jesus is saying. One of the questions we keep coming back to is this. Am I willing to follow Jesus by doing what he says to do throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And so in the spirit, in that spirit, I'm gonna give all of us a way to to follow Jesus in this area right now. So today, when this service ends, if you would like to donate either your coat or your shoes to restore Ukraine, leave them on your seat. And after the service, we're gonna have some folks come Three we'll collect, and then we're we're gonna get those to Yarrow. They'll be sent to Ukraine. Now, immediately, when I say that, two thoughts are in your head. The first thought is, wait, are you serious? You want me to leave my my shoes, walk out of here barefoot? Yes, I'm serious. The second thought in your head, for many of you, is, Man, I wish I wore a different jacket today. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be crystal clear, and everybody, we need to understand this. You do not have to do this, okay? You do not have to give to this need. In fact, for some of you, maybe the best thing is for you not to give. I mean, maybe your jacket is an heirloom from your great grandfather. Maybe for medical reasons you ought to not leave your shoes and walk barefoot. or you are going straight from church? I mean, I don't know. You're, you're going to run a marathon after this and you kind of need your shoes. Giving to this is not some litmus test of your generosity or your spiritual maturity. This is just an opportunity. That's, that's what this is. Giving to this need is not more special or significant than if you go down to Kroger after the service and you see a need and you meet a need. This is, this is an opportunity. And like I said... There are lots of different reasons why people are going to respond to this opportunity differently. So let's not get all judgy here. You know, let's not become foot inspectors and like, oh, he doesn't have his shoes. Like he does. And for those of you who want to give to this but you can't, we're going to have a collection bin outside of, of the building here at GFC until 4 p.m. today. It's going to be at the north entrance, which is the one right off the Antioch entrance there. At the north entrance to the building, we're gonna have a bin, and until 4 p.m. today, you can put clothes, shoes, blankets in that, and we'll get them to Ukraine. But only until 4 p.m. today. Time for you to go home to get it, come back. But right now, um, oh, and I want to say too, some of you may be watching this on Sunday night or Monday. Tough luck. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. Um. But again, right now, as we end the service, if you want to donate your coat or shoes, then leave them on your seat. Now, as I I already said, you got to hear this, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. That's what he wants. And, you know, there's a sense in which, listen, it's not really about the coat or the shoes. Now, you're saying, well, why then? Are you making us think about this crazy opportunity? Because seeing a need like this in an unexpected way, it forces us to take what we're believing in our heads and wrestle with what does it mean for our hands. You see, it becomes, giving to the needy is no longer theoretical when you think about something like this, this opportunity. And I realize that the way I'm asking you to consider this makes some of you think, Matt, if I give, I'm only giving because you are pressuring me to. You're putting me on the spot. Some of you are probably angry at me, and that's okay. That's okay. What I would say is, as much as you can, take me out of it and listen to what Jesus is saying in this text. But if you feel like you can't give from a place of wanting to follow Jesus and meet this need, authentically, then don't do it. Do not do it. But either way, whatever you do, however you respond to this, I want to invite you to pay attention to the tension that you're feeling. Wrestle with what God is saying, wants to say to you. What would it mean for you, forget this, but what would it mean for you to become the kind of person that not only opens your hands to the needy, but your heart. And so maybe, you know, you, you leave and you, you pray, Holy Spirit, would you show me this week one opportunity, one opportunity to open my hands because it's all yours anyway. And God, to give, not because not I want the attention, the affirmation, but to give because you said so. And God, I want to value your attention, your reward more than anything else. What would that look like for you? Again, to open not just your hands, but your heart. And what if you did? What might that look like for the relationships in your life, for your neighborhood, for our city? Can you imagine? If we all said, Jesus, I'll follow you, and I'll follow what you say about money, about possessions, it would change. It would change our city to the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, thank you that You love us enough to confront us, to expose at times what's underneath the waterline. And Lord, I just pray that as folks are wrestling with this and maybe even considering what to do, Lord, would you just help all of us to understand that there's no guilt, there's no shame in any response. But Lord, truly, I pray that, for me, for all of us today, that what we would feel is the invitation to consider this opportunity and beyond this opportunity to to become, by your grace and through your spirit, the kind of people who live open-handed and open-hearted. Lord, that's our desire. And so, Lord, be with us now, and we, we respond to you. We worship you as the God who gave everything for us. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.